Behind the back, wrap around, and climbing the ladder is Dante Hall. Sexton. Step back. Good! Patty at three. Oh, he's a flamethrower! What a shot! 6-3 to the win! It's good! It's good! It's good! Colin Sexton made the floater! They'll review it! But oh, mercy! Colin Sexton may have saved the season! Tigers set to trigger it in. Smart gets it into Watford, threw it away. He'll run it down to the backcourt. Hugh will take it to the top of the arc. Watford three at the buzzer blocked by Herb. The putback, no. The buzzer sounds and Bama hangs on. Oh, my goodness. What's up, guys? Welcome into the most fun podcast that we will record for quite some time. Um, I am Jackson Peebles with Matthew Landry and Alabama coming off an SEC regular season title, claims the SEC tournament championship with a win over LSU and one of what was one of Matt, probably one of the best basketball games I've seen in a long time. And I see you're wearing your This Is Mark shirt. That is. <laughs> I should have got mine out for this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that game was just – before we get into the weeds about it, like, just in terms of a watchability standpoint, that was an absolutely incredible game. You know, there's a little mm-hmm. – there's some crowd there, um, like 90% Bama fans, it felt like. Yeah. Um, and it just had that feel to it that we haven't gotten in so long, you know, that um, big-time game, two teams laying on the line for a championship, um, fans getting into it just – is that how you felt too? Was it just like a breath of fresh air? Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely. The world felt normal again just for a two-hour stretch there. I mean, from the start, you know, Alabama gets off to that 8-0 jump, and like we'll, we'll get into it more as we go on. But the place was just erupting at that point. Then LSU storms back, and it, it just two teams fighting for a championship. You could tell it meant so much for both of them, and the crowd getting into it and all. I mean, that was a high-level game that kind of makes you feel normal again watching a game in March of, to that caliber. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Is even as, like, I had the nerves because, you know, obviously you wanted Alabama to win, but there's, like, you could take a step back and just kind of appreciate, like, what you're watching, like how uh, fun the game was. Um, but before we get into LSU, we need to start from the top, in which was when Alabama just dismantling Mississippi State um, on Friday afternoon, 85 to 48. This game was over pretty quickly. Um and apologies to anyone who listened to the tournament preview pod where we just <laughs> wrongfully assumed that we'd be playing Kentucky. Um, but Mississippi State was pretty impressive in that win over Kentucky. Um, like I guess, obviously, we didn't think that they'd be able to pull that off, and they did. Um, but then Alabama just from the jump dominated them. I mean, in the first half, Mississippi State scored um, like 0.59 points per possession, um, which is horrible. Um, and then Alabama was scoring like 1.4 points per possession. Um, it wasn't even close. It was uh, 47 to 19 at halftime. Um, so, Matt, what did you take from that game? You know, that was probably – we were kind of texting about it, you know, probably the most complete game on both sides of the ball that Alabama has played maybe all season. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a look in Alabama's eyes from the jump ball on that was kind of just scary from an opposing team standpoint. I mean, they were locked in from the jump. Petty was unbelievable on defense. Um, they got huge minutes out of Gary, which was a trend for the entire tournament. 
Um, but, I mean, you know, Gary had that block against former Alabama player Javian Davis. Then I don't know if it was the possession right after or a couple down. Then he catches the lob from JQ um, later on in the game, and that was just absolutely phenomenal um, to see that effort there from him. Quinterly was fantastic. As, I mean, as we all know now, he's the most outstanding player for the SEC tournament, which was well-deserved, um, especially coming from a JQ podcast here. Um, Shaq was great. You know, just from the whole game, I mean, I feel like you can go through and look at every single player and say, you know, they were fantastic. It, when you were able to play in the SEC tournament and get Darius Miles 16 minutes, you played pretty well. Yeah, and, you know, Herb stuffed the stat sheet, you know, 8.7 boards, 7 mm -hmm. assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. You know, that's like – if you looked up what the typical Herb game is, you know, that that's what would come up. That in That's really minutes. impressive. In 17 – yeah, I mean, those stats in 17 minutes is otherworldly. Yeah. Um, and this win was big for Alabama because it kept them fresh for mm -hmm. the two games leading up to that. Um, you know, they're – in terms of – versus Tennessee and LSU, you know, the Tennessee players have played way more minutes um, than Alabama coming into that game. And then same with LSU, um, who was in a tight one with Arkansas. Um, you know, Alabama was a much fresher team um, to get to use some of that depth. And that really paid off down the road um, in the tournament. But, yeah, Herb was great. Quinterly was awesome. Um, he was awesome the whole tournament, like you mentioned. Um, really efficient game from him, four for four from two. To me, that was the big thing for him in this tournament is he got to the rim um, with ease, it felt like, at times. Um, he's just – once he gets on a matchup that's good for him, he can just absolutely leave somebody in the dust. Um, and he's really, like, finding his groove in the offense. And he's – you know, I would like to – I guess I should apologize – um, for some of the comments I had about Quinterly. Um, not that they weren't justified at the time, because he did have his struggles. Um, but he's kind of really – I think it came with him embracing that role of, as the sixth man. Um, but he's really just found his edge offensively um, to where he's now a legit threat off the dribble, shooting the ball, and as a playmaker. So just like – Matt, just talk about like his development from – I guess, the non-conference slate until now where he's, you know, arguably the team's best player. Yeah, I mean, I and just to follow up with what you said, I think I think we all kind of owe him an apology. I feel, feel like, you know, 90% of the fan base got to the point to where we were a little frustrated, mainly due to just some of the turnovers he was having when he first came back from his medical condition. Um, and there was a stretch where a lot of Alabama fans were kind of fed up with, you know, lack of defense, lack of, basketball IQ sometimes, dribbling the ball too much, throwing passes to the wrong team and things like that. He's really turned it on lately, though, as he's carved out this role as a six-man. Um, you know, it's funny to call him a six-man when he's still playing some of the most minutes on the team. Um, I, I think he's played over, you know, 25 in every game other than that Mississippi State game in the tournament um, just because of the blowout that it was. But, I mean, he's, he's developed into an elite shooter, as we've said, for the past few weeks. Um, and that's continued on. And like you said, he's someone who once he realizes he's got a really opportune matchup for him, he's capable of putting the ball on the floor and blowing right by him and having the nifty finishes we've seen. But he's also capable of just stopping on the three-point line and pulling up or shooting a step back and really creating a lot of issues for opposing teams in that way with his ability to shoot. Um, so I think the only criticism I have with him is sometimes he takes some really bad mid-range jump shots. I'm not someone who believes that every mid-range jump shot is bad. Um, but a contested step back isn't great. 
Um, but even with that said, when he does as much as he's doing on the offensive end, you get mad at him for one second for that, and then he's a blur in transition getting the layup to make up for it. So you can't be too critical of him in that sense. But, you know, we've, we've talked about the offense a lot. Like I mentioned a second ago, we were a lot of the criticism of him came from his defense. He's turned into a non-liability on defense at this point. He's still not, you know, a lockdown defender like we've seen John Petty grow into, like we see with Herb Jones or Keon Ellis. But he's not going to hurt you at this point. He's not ball watching near as much anymore off ball. He's staying in front of his man more often than not. And that's something that's been a huge development for him. And part of the reason I think he's really begun to get even more confidence and really start to shine here in the past month or so and on the biggest stage of the SEC tournament that we've seen so far. Yeah, and to that regard, I don't think Alabama has any weak links defensively. Yeah. Um, you know, we've always talked about, especially early in the season, um, Shaq and Reese were kind of like that. Now, I mean, Shaq isn't a great defender by any means, but he's mm-hmm. able to poke at the ball, get some steals. He's all, he's usually in good position. Um, and he doesn't just like – like, it's not like his man always just has a really good chance to score. You know, he can guard one-on-one pretty well. And then Reese has become a really good interior defender. Um, he's much – Reese is much more athletic than I think a lot of people realize. Um, and he's able to uh, hold his own down there um, and on the perimeter. Um, but in the in the Mississippi State game, you know, Alabama's had it clicking from everywhere. Um, 19 of 30 from two. You know, we kind of talked about how Abdul Adu would be a tough matchup or Isaiah Jackson for Kentucky, whichever one it would be. And Adu had five blocks in the game, but Alabama still was able to have a really efficient night from two um, at 63%. You contrast that with Mississippi State, who shot um, just 40% from two, and then an absolutely abysmal one of 19 <laughs> from three. Um, mm-hmm. So, Matt, this, Alabama really just totally dominated Mississippi State on the defensive end. You know, State's got good guards. You know, Molinar had a decent game. He had 18 points. Um, but D.J. Stewart was a non-factor. Um, they couldn't really get anything going in the post, which is a big part of their offense. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, what did you see from Alabama in terms of how they just dominated Mississippi State on the defensive end? Well, like you said, they couldn't really get anything in the post, and part of that was because Alabama did a really good job of making those entry passes really tough. They weren't letting the ball get into Tolu Smith and Abdul do with ease. Um, Juwan Gary was, you know, wreaking havoc there with t- getting his hand in passing lanes. The guards did a good job on the perimeter, just making sure the entry passes weren't there easily. Um, and just the intensity from the jump. I mean, they, they punked him out from the first minute. And whenever you do that, Alabama's really hard to beat when they have that look in their eye. Um, so that's something that you would have liked. You'd want to see that every game moving forward. Just from the early tip, you know, it's 11 o'clock, so people are a little on edge about that based on how Alabama's done so far this year. They say, you know, screw the 11 o'clock tip-off struggles. We're going to go from the jump and just completely just dog out this team, which was really fun to see, especially since those first two games with Mississippi State were kind of – a lot more closer than they should have been because um, Alabama's a much better team than State, and they showed that from the first minute in the game on Thursday. So that was really encouraging to see, and I think it built a lot of momentum for what we saw in the Saturday and Sunday games as well. Yeah, and, you know, they – like you said, from the from the tip, they really just had that, like, focus on, like – you know, I think it was me and you were kind of talking about it, just like unlike anything we've seen from them – in a long time, like they really were ready to go 
and they knew that they were capable of putting on a performance like this um, against this Mississippi State team, um, and they did. You know, they were, uh, to me, a big, uh, really good stat in this game is Alabama assist on 20 um, of their field goals. So 20 of their 32 made field goals um, was a 63% assist rate. Without looking, that's probably their highest of the season. That's really, really good. Their offense was so crisp. I mean, everybody was able um, to drive, draw some defenders, kick out, you know, get to the rim. Um, we kind of saw in this tournament Alabama's offense um, getting back to the level that we really wanted it to be. Um, you know, you know, we kind of talked about in the preview. We want them to build some momentum offensively, get back to what they were doing. Um, they had a stretch there where they didn't, you know, score over a point per possession for a long time. Um, in the Tennessee game, they were right under it. Um, but Tennessee's a really good defensive team. And I thought Alabama still played good offensively in that game. So it's really good in this tournament to see Alabama kind of pick it up offensively and get back to what they were um, – what we were used to seeing early in the conference slate. Um, so that's just about it on the Mississippi State game. Like I said, by halftime, it was more than over. Alabama had a really big lead. Um, and Mississippi State just had no chance. Um, after about midway through the first half. Um, but then Alabama met up with Tennessee, and this game kind of went a little differently than maybe we would have expected. Um, Tennessee's notoriously had some offensive struggles uh, this year despite the all the talent they have. Um, and, Matt, right before this game, we learned that Fulkerson wasn't going to play for Tennessee, um, who's a veteran guy, um, plays the – is one of their bigs. Um, one of their main scores, you know, he got caught an elbow from Florida uh, in the Florida game and he was out. Um, but we kind of talked about how maybe that was addition by subtraction for Tennessee. Not that Fulkerson's not a good player, um, right. but without him, they got a little more athletic. They, you know, they insert uh, a guard in there rather than a big um, that kind of spread Alabama out. And in that first half, Tennessee made everything they looked at, especially, mm -hmm. you know, they were hitting some mid-range jumpers. You know, Keon uh, Johnson uh, had a really good first half. He finished with 20. Um, so, in that first half, I didn't think Alabama was playing all that bad defensively, but Tennessee just made some really tough shots. Yeah, I mean, Keon Johnson finished with 20. I think he had, like, 16 or 18 at the half. So, I mean, he was unbelievable in that first half. And, I mean, like you said, they were some really tough mid-range looks. Jaden Springer as well. I mean, he was shooting turnaround jumpers like – we saw from Kobe Bryant. Um, I mean, he was just <laughs> backing dudes down, turning around. And it's not like he's a bigger guard either. Like he's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, as a point guard, shooting guard. I think he had Petty on him a lot. And he was just shooting turnaround jumpers like it was nothing. And they were hitting nothing but net a majority of the time. Um, and <laughs> those two were great. Santiago Vescovi hit two threes that, I mean, aren't going to hit 99% of the time. He banked one in and then had one clunk off the back of the rim and somehow roll in. So, I mean, those six points were kind of trash points as well. And, I mean, Alabama, they, I feel like they defended well for the most part in that first half as well as the second half as a whole, as we saw. Um, but, you know, Tennessee, like you said, they have offensive struggles. They still only scored 68 points. They only scored 28 in the second half. So, Alabama really stepped it up in the second half there. Um, and that, this was a game where I thought Keon Ellis was really, really good on both ends. Um, he only had seven points, but he was making good extra passes. He was playing really well, didn't take bad shots. Um, and defensively, he really stepped it up in the second half. JP played great in the second half. And Herb Jones showed why he was the um, player of the year in the conference this year in that game. 
finished with 21, seven, four assists, a block and three steals, made some really big plays on the defensive end. Javon Quinterly, you know, I feel like we can say it after every game. He was phenomenal. He had, was 7-11 from two. Um, I believe he was only one of two from three, but I may be wrong on that one. Um, but, I mean, he was unbelievable. He had, you know, I called him earlier, blur in transition. He proved that again. He had that spin move and then the crafty layup um, that we saw on Twitter, tweeted out 100 times. And he, he was phenomenal. And this, this game was just an all-around great game. And it, to me, it showed why Alabama's a dangerous team in March. Tennessee was up 15 at one point with, I think, 17 minutes left in the second half. And Alabama, from then on, just had an unbelievable game. They could, And they did it without having to shoot threes. They did it by defending, by turning you over, forcing you to tough shots, and getting out and running, which is really encouraging to see and why I think they can be a real mismatch in March. Yeah, once Alabama got down 15, I think they immediately went on that, like, 14-0 run and got it right back to one. Um, <clears throat> Herb was a big part of that. He um, had a rough game from the field, you know, over three from three. Um, I thought he took – I thought he's been – Herb's been taking some threes that, you know, maybe he shouldn't. Um, yeah. He can hit the open one off a catch and shoot, but I would rather him not be taking those off the dribble threes, you know, just attack or move the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did get to the foul line 12 times, made nine of them. That's what they need to, They need Herb to do. You know, he needs to be a guy that lifts up the foul line because he's so hard to defend going in. He, he draws a lot of fouls. Um, so that was one positive out of this, um, out of this game uh, was that Alabama went to the line 19 times, made 16 of them. Um, if they can get to the line close to 20 times in a game, that's a really good number uh, to shoot for. Um, I think most of the time they're going to be uh, around 10 to 12-ish free throws a game. But if they can get that up um, in tournament time, that'll be a real plus for their offense, especially if they're not having a great night shooting the ball like they did in this game, you know, just 7 of 28. Um, but they were still able to get it done mostly with their defense. You mentioned they turned Tennessee over 19 times, um, which was a big thing in this game. Alabama was able to get out and run um, a little bit. And, um, you know, you, we know Herb was good and Quinterly was good. Uh, Keon and Gary, you know, didn't show up in the stat sheet in this game as much, but um, – they were really good in both the Tennessee game and we'll talk about the LSU game later, but you can't underestimate the depth that Alabama has um, with guys like that. Uh, so what do you think about the bench going into the tournament, Matt? You know, cause they had a really good um, SEC tournament, especially I know Ellis got the start in this game with Primo out, um, mm-hmm. but we don't know what his status is going to be for the tournament. Um, but what, how big of a strength is Alabama's depth at this point? Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully if Primo is able to come back, you're going to have one of him or Ellis off the bench, which is already a super productive guard wing who's capable of impacting the game on both ends. Then you have Javon Quinterly, who we've raved about enough already, so we don't have to get into it too much. Jawan Gary, who's tough as nails, makes huge plays. The perfect energy, you know, I want to say big, but he's only 6'6". The perfect energy forward who somehow plays small ball five so well um, off the bench, who gives you great energy minutes, even if it's only, you know, 12 minutes a game. Those 12 minutes, he's pretty dang good in them. Um, he's someone who's going to get offensive boards for you. He's going to – he's switchable, so he's going to create turnovers on the perimeter, but he's also going to play really well on the inside and not give up easy points. Um, Alex Reese is coming to his own on defense. And let's talk about Alex Reese in this Tennessee game real quick. <laughs> Alex Reese was phenomenal on defense. What was up with him and the – I'm not going to try to say his name, but the European big on Tennessee – 
seemed like they were going at it the entire game. Um, so shouts to Alex Reese, who, you know, he's grown into a, a tougher role this year. Um, we had our doubts about Reese after last season because at times he could be a bit soft. He put all those all those um, sayings away whenever he was playing against Euros Plavsic. I tried to he, say it. I don't think I did it correctly. He had he had a personal vendetta against that guy for whatever reason. <laughs> you know, there was like a time where he was like just trying to go ice a ball on him. Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not right now is not the time for that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Reese has been a really good player um, for Alabama. You know, they – you know, who knows what it's going to look like in the tournament because, mm-hmm. you know, pour one out for our buddy Jordan Bruner. He's not looking too great <sighs> yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, you know, they're – and. LSU game he got just totally left on a drive and Oates immediately went put Reese in there um but you know Reese he's not the shooter that we want him to be or need him to be you know you know that like that meme that's like society of this (laughs) like if Alex Reese could open three like that would be society um (laughs) but he's he did hit some threes in the LSU game that were big um he always seems to hit the timely one, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's been a he's been a really good um, defender, and plus he he just fits so well with the scheme offensively mm-hmm. that you you know you have to have him out there. Um, but yeah, in the Tennessee game, he had two blocks, um, and then five rebounds, two offensive rebounds, nine points. You know, you can't ask for much more from that out of Reese. Um, so that was really good to see. Um, yeah, you know, Reese, Gary, and Rojas, they've all kind of – they found that little rotation that works with those guys um, in terms of the bigs. Um, you know, Rojas, <laughs> he uh, didn't rec- record many uh, stats um, in 10 minutes. You know, one steal and three turnovers, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they've been uh, they've been good off the bench, and the bench has really become a strength for Alabama. I know what at one point – I keep getting ahead of myself here, but at one point in the LSU game, they flashed like the bench points. And it was like 28-0. Um, so, you know, not a lot of teams have the depth that Alabama has, um, and that's a really big positive for them um, moving forward. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Tennessee really kind of played above their head in the first half. And then once those shots uh, started not going down the way they were in the first half, Alabama was able to kind of lock them up defensively, um, you know, they forced them into some really tough uh, twos that, you know, they made in the first half and the second half they just weren't able to make. Um, And so I thought that was really impressive the way that Alabama responded defensively in that second half, especially after getting down 15 um, and then coming all the way back um, and winning the way that they did. Uh, So moving on to the LSU game, like we said, super entertaining game. Um, you know, like I talk about depth, LSU played seven players, um, and two of those guys off the bench only played single-digit minutes. Um, so I think that LSU, they played probably a little better than um, what they really are. Um, you know, they made a lot of shots. You know, they shot the ball really well from three, obviously, especially um, Thomas and Smart. Um, but, Matt, just give me your overall thoughts on this game in summary. Um because, you know, it was back and forth for a little while. In the first half, I thought Alabama was going to kind of build a lead. Like mm-hmm. you said, they started out eight, eight to nothing. Um, but then Thomas just started hitting some 
crazy deep shots from three that kept them in it, and then we know, we, we know how it turned out. But just give me uh, your thoughts on the game uh, overall. Yeah, I mean, Thomas was hitting shots from the logo. You know, there was one or two where I was like, you know, you can't – I think you tweeted out from the film room account as well. You can't double down on Trenton whenever you have Cam Thomas on the wing, either him or Jonte Smart, because you can't give them open threes because they see such a big bucket. They're going to shoot it whether they're open or not. So, if you give it to them when they're open, it's layup. Um, so, he, he had some – you know, just some threes that were just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he made that. He's a pro for a reason. Um, Javante Smart played really well. Trenton Watford, as we know, I mean, he had 30. He was unbelievable. Um, from an Alabama perspective, though, I felt like Alabama really played pretty well altogether. Um, Javon Quinterly was really good. I feel like really the only player that I think was, you know, not good was our good friend Jordan Bruner. Um, you know, he got played off the court early in the second half. He just – he, I don't know if maybe his knees are starting to bother him a little bit more. He couldn't really move laterally. I think they had him on a Hyatt to start the second half, trying to get – I think JP was on days. So he was trying to get a little bit more active hands there, um, so especially since days likes to hang out on the perimeter. Um, you know, you wanted to have Herb on Watford. So you tried to put – you know, Hyatt's not a huge offensive threat. You try to put Bruner on him. But they kind of exploited that really quickly, which hurt Alabama um, to start the second half. But I thought Gary gave really good minutes. Keon Ellis, I mean, he was phenomenal. He hit some really big threes. Um, he played great defensively. Um, Petty had a quiet game. He only got, you know, like I think like seven or eight shots off total. Um, none of them were clean looks either, but defensively he was just a monster. Um, so, you know, he's not going to be mentioned a whole lot. Also, you know, we, we've talked about a lot about Javon Quinterly. We've talked a lot about Herbert Jones. Jaden Shackelford has somehow become one of the most underrated players in the SEC. He leads Alabama in scoring, and I feel like – I feel like we don't bring him up enough as much as he deserves. I feel like national media doesn't talk about the way he deserves. Shaq played phenomenal today. He hit some really big threes. He took a couple that were like, all right, let me, let's not settle for that. <laughs> he went to the rim. He finished. He played really good defensively. Shaq, Shaq, in my opinion, could have been today's MVP from a watching standpoint, from an Alabama fan standpoint, and all together. I thought he played really, really well. And he, he made buckets when Alabama needed the most. Yeah, I kind of had that thought today. or like just an hour or so before I recorded the podcast, it's like I actually feel bad about the way that we've talked about Shaq at times <laughs> just because of how good he was in this tournament yeah. um, and how good he's been overall. And like you said, he's leading Alabama in scoring, and I feel like he gets talked about maybe like the fourth most of any player. You know, Herb was a player of the year, obviously. You know, Petty, I feel like a lot of people, when they think of Alabama, they think of Petty just because he's been so prominent for so long with Alabama. And then mm -hmm. Quinterly also has the hype um, going back to his high school days. But, yeah, I mean, Shackelford – you know, 21 points, um, three of six from two, five of 13 from three. He also had four assists, four rebounds, and only turned the ball over once. Um, like you said, he was really, really good in this game and so many clutch buckets. Um, he had some big threes um, to either tie the game or put Alabama ahead. He had the layup um, to give Alabama the lead late um, with like a minute left. Um He's just – he's not afraid of the moment. He goes mm – -hmm. he's not afraid to take any shot. Um, and he's he's really confident in his game. And he's become a go-to guy for Alabama. You know, I've always thought that he was going to be a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. Mm -hmm. But he can go and get his own. You know, he had a really tough bucket that he finished over um, trending in the paint. Um, so, yeah, he's become just an all-around uh, really good scorer for Alabama. And it's been really impressive to see – um, just his kind of growth um, into what he's become for them. And, you know, we kind of saw today he hit some big shots. You know, we went 5 of 13 from three. 
when he's hot, he's kind of feels like that guy that like when he's making shots, Alabama seems unstoppable at times. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're used we're used to Petty making shots and um, we're used to Herb getting his, but when Shaq is making like he is, he's kind of like the X factor because, you know, we've talked about he doesn't have the best percentage because um, he does take so many shots and some of them are ill-advised at times. Um, mm-hmm. But him getting streaky or getting streaky hot and then going into the tournament, that's a guy that could be really big for Alabama, don't you think? Yeah, I think it definitely can. I mean, he's kind of – he's another guy that the way he plays can really kind of drive what Alabama's going to do on the offensive end. You know, today he was really good catch-and-shoot-wise. So he gave Alabama a lot of easy opportunities by giving him threes. You know, the one that put us up 8 nothing, Keon kicked it to him in the corner. He hits three. You see Petty and Keon racing down with their arms up. And that's when it felt like Alabama was in control of this game from then on. Even when Alabama went down, I still felt like Alabama was in control because we had a guy like Shaq who could take over on the offensive end. And when you have a guy like Shaq take over, it, it only opens up things for Herb trying to drive and for Keon trying to drive too and JQ. It opened up so much because you have someone like Shaq going from the outside, and he's an inside threat as well. So I think Shaq is just – I mean, yeah, he played 37 minutes today. Shaq was phenomenal, I felt like. Um, it's a big game to Shaq. Shouts to Shaq, and we are very sorry that we don't give you the appreciation you deserve. Yeah, we won't make that mistake again. I mean, he, yeah. he like you said, he's – he was just awesome today. And it, he's so fun to root for because, you know, he's kind mm-hmm. of under – he's undersized. Um, he's got that chip on his shoulder. And he's always – it seems like he – He's always um, looking for the best interest of the team. Um, and so, yeah, he was great. Uh, and he'll he'll be a big uh, factor for Alabama in the tournament. Um, Herb, you know, another kind of rough game shooting-wise, just 6 of 16. Um, but he did have six rebounds – or 11 rebounds. Um, these Kimpon box scores mess me up how they split offensive and defensive yeah. rebounds. 11 rebounds, uh, five offensive rebounds, um, and six assists four blocks you know he was a monster all around you know Alabama obviously they his impact is just it's it can't really be put on a stat sheet it can't be put into words um him the confidence he had after LSU scored to take the lead to just Mm -hmm. go right back down the floor and get that layup um you know that was just that's a play that a big time player makes you know, I didn't know really what Alabama was going to do there, if they're going to call timeout or if they're going to kind of play it down a little bit. But he just took off right to the rim. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of indicative of what he is to this team, just like the heart and soul um, and how fearless he plays. Yeah, I, I, that was such a big play for him. And defensively, I mean, he was just wreaking havoc. Um, so let, let's talk about these final 30 seconds or so. So Herb gets down the court, hits the layup. Alabama calls timeout, which I thought was a brilliant move. To Love make sure that, that's your defense. <laughs> that was a great job by NATO to call that timeout. So, Javante Smart comes down the court. You, They left it in his hands, which I thought was really smart because he he kind of got LSU back into it. You know, Trenton was okay. great, had 30. <laughs> and Javante Smart hit some really, really big shots. He goes to the rim. Heck of a job by Keon Ellis. Stays in front, makes a huge block. That was a really, really big play for Alabama. So now, Jackson, walk us through kind of your thoughts from whenever LSU took the inbound forward at that point, kind of what was going through your mind as that played out. First off, they missed the backcourt. Yes, they I did. I thought that was – He caught in the front court and stepped back. That was a backcourt yeah, violation. I was shocked they didn't call that. And Oates was, like, right there doing the mm-hmm. thing to the ref. He wanted it. Um, so, first that. And then second, I was thankful that Trenton didn't attack off the bounce. I couldn't um, believe it. Because – 
you know, he, he wanted that bad, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we can't blame him. He, you know, he's taken a lot of crap from Alabama fans and from the players, you know, there's obviously that bad blood there between everybody in those two programs. He wanted that shot bad. Um, Heard played outstanding defense on him, you know, got a hand on the ball. Um, and then it was just kind of like, I can't even explain. Like, it was, it happened and then it was over and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Because like, you know, it's like <laughs> that first shot somehow doesn't go in. The second shot, I don't know if it would have counted or not. Um, maybe he got it off for the buzzer, but it kind of went under the rim. Mm-hmm. But that second shot was like, it's like time stood still for a moment and it just bounced off the back rim. It reminded me of that that Duke team that had Zion and RJ. Yeah. That yeah, game they had yeah. against UCF where it was just like, yep. how did that ball not go down? Um, that's kind of how it felt. And then afterwards it was like, wow, you know, that really happened. But it was an awesome <laughs> – it was an awesome finish, a very fitting ending to the game. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I thought Herb played outstanding defense on Trendon there. Um, like I said, thankful that he didn't drive it because he was unstoppable all game. It didn't, know, it didn't matter what Alabama threw at Trendon, what defender – you know, Herb was on him a good bit. Obviously, that's a matchup that um, they like. Herb's had success against Trendon in the mm-hmm. past guarding him. Um, but Trendon got the best of Herb several times. Um, you know, they they tried Reese on him. They tried Gary. They tried to dig in the post. They tried to double. It didn't matter what they did. Trendon was awesome today, you know, 30 points. Um, he's so great at carving out space in the lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and just he's so strong. Um, you know, he had a – he had a really good game today. It didn't matter, like I said, didn't matter what Alabama did. He was going to get his. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that final minute was chaotic. You know, I thought Alabama kind of had it there for a second, and they went up five, I think it was, and Smart comes down and drills a three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of crazy. Any time that someone needed a bucket in this game, they delivered, whether it was Alabama or LSU. Um, there's just so many big-time shots that were made. Um, but, yeah, I think you said – uh, I said something about it earlier in uh, one of the chats. Keon's block on Smart there um, was a huge play that might get forgotten just because of all the big plays that were in this game. Um, but, you know, Smart uh, drove the lane there, uh, tried to finish over Keon, and Keon blocked it with his offhand out of bounds, um, which was ended up being a big deal for that ball to go out of bounds because LSU, uh, they kind of almost threw away the inbounds pass. Um, wasn't uh, I don't know if it was just a bad pass or I'll have to watch it back again um, or if Alabama kind of forced it but that ended up being a big deal so that was a really big play from Keon Ellis just a guy that makes plays like that um, you know there's so many guys on this team and you know the fact that we made this far that talking about Jawan Gary you know he was unbelievable you know he's he's kind of becoming a fan favorite you know I think next year I said uh, somebody today that He's my preseason pick for SEC deep boy um, because he can he can guard he can't guard as many positions as Herb can but he's been Alabama's been switching him onto guards a lot recently um, and like by design like you know they're saying okay Gary you can switch um, onto this guy or onto this guy and he held his on against um, you know if you got a guy that can guard Trenton Watford and then turn around and guard. Uh, Cam Thomas or Javante Smart on the same possession. That's yeah. a really special player. Yeah. Um, you know, his stat line, eight points, eight rebounds, seven offensive rebounds, um, an assist and a block, seven offensive rebounds. He, you know, Alabama does not win this game 
without um, Jawan Gary. He had some really big plays. You know, he was – this is a really good rebounding team, LSU. And he had some really big putbacks um, in this game that kind of uh, – you know, he really brought the intensity. You know, this team, this LSU team has a lot of size. They're extremely physical. But he was the most physical player on the court. So just kind of tell me what you saw from Gary um, and his performance. Yeah, I mean, Juwan Gary <laughs> – you know, I've had multiple people message me today asking, why does Gary not play more? And my only assumption is just because he can't shoot the three, but he offers you so much more that it doesn't even matter. I mean, like you said, he's the only player other than Herb that you have that can guard turn and switch out to the guards on the perimeter and smart and Thomas. And he's, you're, you feel comfortable doing that. I mean, he's just unbelievable in that role. And he always has active hands and passing. He can block shots like we've seen in pretty much every game he's played in. And like you said, seven offensive boards. It's not like this guy's a seven-footer doing that. He's six foot six on a good day, and he's out-rebounding a great, great rebounding team at LSU who has Darius Days and Trenton Watford down there who are really good rebounders. Um, so, I mean, the guy just, like you say, he brings the intensity. He's everything that you need, not just to spark you to an SEC tournament run, but if you want to go far in March, you need those energy guys off your bench who are switchable defenders, they're going to get you rebounds, and they're going to bring you value in things that even don't show up in the stat sheet, like being able to guard multiple positions, like you're not hurting whenever he's having to play small ball five. And he's just going to bring so much intensity and give the team so much energy. And something else that he brings you, he brings you a guy that's going to play the four and the five who runs the floor just as well as anyone on the team. He's gotten so many transition dunks throughout the season just from being a rim runner, running from one end to the other down the middle of the floor, he's caught lobs. He's got, got caught in himself and then taken one dribble and dunked. He brings so much value in every facet of the game other than three-point shooting, and he makes up for it in those other ways that he can help you. Yeah, and in this game, like, this game was kind of made for him, I felt like, because mm-hmm. it was so physical. Um, you know, this, was, this game was not officiated like most SEC games we've no. seen. Um, you know, whistle. <laughs> there was like there was a stretch where I was like you know there was like a some action then a dead ball and I was like they could have called like five or six fouls in that you know, that two possession stretch like it was like so I was close on the guy it was amazing <laughs> yeah I mean it was I mean there were some times where you know Trendon was getting brought to the ground and all this stuff I yeah. was like man they're letting them play um which was great you know I would love if every game was officiated like that mm-hmm. because, you know, the players decided that and it wasn't a ref show at the end. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was interesting, but yeah, I mean, his, his physicality, um, his ability to find the ball in the offensive glass was huge. You know, Alabama had 19 offensive boards in this game, you know, LSU kind of builds their offense around the offensive glass and for Alabama to have more offensive rebounds um, than LSU did, you know, it was carried by Herb and Gary, um, but everybody else got involved. That was huge. You know, those second chances um, were really big, especially because, you know, you know, a lot of those come from long uh, rebounds on threes. But Gary had, I think, of his eight points, six of those were putbacks. Um, you know, the other one was, like you said, him running um, in transition and catching the lob. But, yeah, I mean, he doesn't – you don't know really where he fits on this team because um, – like you said, he's kind of like that small ball five, um, but he's, he brings so much, you know, I, I would not be surprised if he got the majority of the minutes at the five um, like he did today um, as we go into the tournament, because he provides the most of any of the bigs right now. 
Um, like you said, he doesn't shoot the ball, but what he brings defensively, um, what he brings on the offensive glass, and just as an athlete, um, you know, this is a guy who was a – he's a top 100 um, recruit, um, really big uh, talent out of South Carolina. You know, he's got a high ceiling. He doesn't have yeah. um, the offensive skill set of most wings that you would like, um, but he's kind of – he kind of reminds me of Mark Vidal at Baylor, you know, more of an athlete than him. Yeah. Which is one of those guys that's going to scrap, get those offensive boards, get those uh, uh, trash buckets, you know, not worried about – how many shots he gets or anything like that. He just kind of lives um, for that style of basketball. Um, he's going to be a big-time player, probably am mm-hmm. in the tournament. He's another guy off the bench. And just there's so many um, on this team, you know, especially even when Primo gets back. You know, you've got so many guys that can contribute. And that's why it's, it's Alabama can survive a rough shooting game from Petty. Or they can survive when Herb doesn't have it offensively just because they have so much depth on the offensive end. Um, and obviously on the defensive end, Alabama did fall to second in defensive efficiency by 0.1 points. Um, so we don't have that title anymore. But the offense is up to 34th in offensive efficiency. You know, they, they scored almost 1.2 points per possession in the LSU game. Um, so moving on up. So, Matt, do you have any other thoughts on the LSU game? That's kind of all I have. Yeah, that's about all I have. Um, SEC tournament champions after – being the SEC regular season champion something you don't see very often, it seems like. Um, so really proud of our guys. You know, you could tell it meant a lot. Um, it really hit me that we did it once you saw JP's reaction afterwards and him in tears. Um, that's something with just watching how JP's grown since his freshman year. Um, he doesn't seem like a very emotional guy. So seeing the emotions hit him like that, that was really cool to see. Um, and I'm really proud of these guys, really happy for him. Um, also, shouts to Nate Oates for telling Will Wade how he feels at the end of the game. Um, I'm sure he meant no disrespect, but that was, that was to me, my favorite part of the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there was a pregame scuffle. Yeah. Um, some, uh, <laughs> just kind of set the tone for how the game was going to be, you know, it was, it was a rock fight. Um, but at the same time, some really high level offensive basketball. Um, so like I said, it just made for one of the best games that I've seen in quite some time, especially, um, when you factor in what they were playing for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was – and like you said, that was really cool to see the way that Petty reacted and Quinterly and some of those guys. You know, we talk a lot about the X's and O's and look at it from that standpoint. But um, just from, like, um, a human standpoint, you got to be so happy for those guys, you know, mm-hmm. the things that they've been through, new coaches, um, you know, losing in the NIT the way they did, all that stuff. I mean, they've – the what they mean to Alabama basketball, like guys are going to look back down the road at what Herb Jones and John Petty did. And, you know, and obviously their careers aren't over. Um, But this year they're going to be remembered. Um, They're going to be really highly regarded in Alabama history um, for what they have done, not only this year, but their entire careers. Um, And what I thought was a really cool moment was like right after Herb scored and we called timeout, you know, you kind of saw on the bench like um, Herb and, JP kind of like embracing there, like, you know, like, you know, we got this, you know, we can do it. And that was really cool to see just, you know, the, the culture change that's happened um, in such a short a time is pretty remarkable. Um, so credit to the staff for that, because I was talking to somebody today and I was like, we kind of don't say this anymore. Like we did um, maybe midway through the season because we're just so used to it now, but you know, 
how like the Tennessee and the LSU games, the Alabama teams of old, mm-hmm. they don't win those games. No, um, no shot. So just the it's so fun to see Alabama win um, the way that they have, and you know they got two big wins over two SC, or two NCAA tournament teams, which is something they haven't been able to do um, for a while now. You, you know we kind of talked about that about how they hadn't beaten a surefire tournament team um, since before that. It was since the second LSU game. Yep. Um, so that was really good to see them kind of gut out two big wins um, over two good teams. So with that said, we do have a bracket. Um, you know, this, this draw for Alabama. So Iona as the 15 seed matched up. Alabama is in Michigan's bracket. Um, the one seed, the last one seed was uh, Michigan. Um, and then some other notorious teams, you know, LSU, is the eight seed in their bracket. Uh, Colorado, the five. Florida State, the four. BYU, a six. Um, really glad I was, you know, there was two teams that I didn't want to see as a seven. One was BYU, so I saw them as a six, and I was like, okay, that's good. Um, and then the other one was UConn, who gets <laughs> firmly planted right above us in the bracket. Um, so, and then Texas is the three. So, Confession, I have only watched Iona one time um, this year. I watched them play Siena in their uh, mm-hmm. conference uh, semifinal. Um, but they are coached by Rick Pitino. Um, they've only played 17 games this year, went 12-5. and five. They have won six games in a row um, after they lost on the road at Quinnipiac on February 17th. And then they won four games. Um, in five days to win their conference tournament. They were the nine seed in their conference tournament, but they kind of like seeded their tournament kind of weird. Like, I don't know how they, I, I don't know how they did it, but I saw that they, they didn't do it just based off uh, your total wins and losses. Like there was some kind of formula that went into it. Yeah, so, I think a part of that was because like teams like Iona, Iona didn't play in the month of January. From December 23rd yeah. to February 12th, they didn't play. So I think that was a big reason they fell to ninth in their bracket. Cause I mean, they, they won it all, and they made it to the NCAA tournament. So they're clearly good enough. I think a big part was just that they had a huge COVID pause from Christmas on. Yeah. Yeah, and Patino, funny enough, was one of the guys that was, like, wanting to move mm-hmm. the season back and everything. So, um, so yeah, they – kind of a weird team, you know. Like I said, only played 17 games. Um, but just a quick rundown through their Ken Palm numbers. Um, you know, they're – 210th in offensive efficiency and 161st in defensive efficiency. But then you get kind of their numbers. Um, and on the offensive end, they're really good in three of the four factors um, and really bad in one of them. And then same thing for the defensive end. Um, so offensively, you know, 51% effective field goal percentage, um, which is actually higher than Alabama. Um, offensive rebound percentage, they're 32nd. Um, and then in free throw rate, they're 66, but they turn the ball over on almost 23% of their possessions. Um, so that's something that Alabama, if they take advantage of, you know, force Iona into 20 or so turnovers, get out and run, you know, they can bury the Gales pretty quickly. Um, but then on the defensive side, 18th in effective field goal percentage defense. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Um, they force turnovers at just under 20%, which is right outside the top 100. And then they're a decent rebounding team, 107th um, in defensive rebound percentage, but they foul a lot. 
um, mm-hmm. which will be interesting to see in this game because Alabama notoriously doesn't get to the foul line all that well. Um, but they're 343rd in opponent free throw rate. <clears throat> so if you kind of look through there, I think Alabama kind of take advantage of um, some sloppy ball that Iowa plays, force some turnovers, get out and run, um, and hopefully uh, bury this game. You know, one thing about these kind of games, you don't want the team to hang around and gain some confidence. Um, so if Alabama's able to get some turnovers, make it tough for them, um, make it tough for them offensively, and convert those into points, I feel good about Alabama's chances um, of covering what is, I think, an 18-point eight, spread. Um, to me, that's going to be the key to that if they're uh, going to dominate the game or just win it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, from what you said, so I, I have not watched Iona at all. I know nothing about the personnel. I know they're coached by Rick you. Pitino. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, I know they're coached by Rick Pitino, so you know whose guys are going to play hard. Um, you know, they're going to try hard on defense. They're going to run some good offensive sets. Um, you know, he still is one of the better coaches in the country um, after he got exiled to Greece. Um but he, his guys are going to play hard. They're going to fight hard on the boards. Um, like you mentioned, those turnover numbers and the foul rate they have are going to be important. Alabama has been a lot better at attacking the rim lately, I feel like. Um, even though we didn't get a lot of calls in the SEC tournament to go to the line, I feel like Alabama, they didn't shy away from contact. It was just the way that it was officiated, which was a good development to see. So I think with the way Iona seems to foul, I think that could be big for Alabama to get to the line consistently. And the big one is the turnover percentage. If Alabama can turn them over, get out and run in transition, they have a really good shot to bury the Gales early, like you said. Um, they do defend the three pretty well. Um, but with Alabama's ball movement, they haven't played a team quite like Alabama yet. Um, so I'm curious to see what gives with that and how they defend. I'm curious to see what kind of defenses Patino's going to put out there. Does he try to go zone and force Alabama to move it around um, and force them to shoot? Uh, that would be a bold strategy. Or is he going to trust his guys to man up and try to keep Alabama out from the rim and try to control the ball movement to not get open threes as well? So there's a couple different ways Rick could go with this one. He's such a great coach and has a week to prepare, so I'm sure he's going to be prepared for Alabama. Um, but Alabama is the much more talented team. Um, and it should be a fun game. I mean, it's a Rick Pitino coach team. They're not going to just roll over for Alabama to just blow by him. So this should be fun. Yeah, and one thing about Pitino is he – is a really good defensive coach. You know, his last 10 teams at Louisville, nine of them finished inside the top 10 in defensive efficiency. Um, so his what his game plan for this game will be, will be fascinating to watch. You know, he, he, like I said, he'll, like you said, he'll probably throw some different defenses in, um, mix up a little bit, um, and try to catch Alabama off guard. Um, so, you know, but I think that he'll be able to do some things that, maybe Alabama hasn't seen, but I don't think Iona can score with Alabama to stay in the game. Um, they do have a pretty good player, um, it looks like, in Isaiah Ross, you know, 40% or 39% three-point shooter. Um, he's kind of their uh, their senior guard. Um, and then they've got another senior guard, um, Asante Gist, who's um, pretty solid. Um, so, you know, if, if they uh, – maybe get hot shooting the ball. They're a decent three-point shooting team. Um, you know, maybe they can uh, stay in the game for a little while. But, you know, if they're going to turn the ball over like they have all year, um, I think Alabama can kind of bury them quickly um, by getting out and running in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's go out on a limb, Matt. Let's say that Alabama beats Iona. Um, 
which I expect. Well, I guess risky, give me risky. give me a give me a prediction first. You know, I, I don't even know how to predict the game just since I haven't seen them play. So I'm just gonna I'm not gonna give a score. I'm just gonna say Alabama wins. Um, I don't want to say we're gonna blow them out just because I don't know enough about their personnel. Uh, it's Patino team. I say they keep it interesting for a little while. I'll take Bama by double figures. You coward. <laughs> All right. I will give a score. Wade Bullock's going to like me not giving prediction. He tweeted me and told me the reason we won is because I haven't given predictions. I'm trying to just keep him, keep him going on that. Yeah, they – yeah, okay. Well, well I have – I'll have uh, Alabama 85-60 to 60 okay. win. So, comfortably, obviously, I think Alabama can force 20-plus uh, turnovers in this game. Uh, just overwhelm Iona defensively. Um, and then Iona already struggles to score enough. Um, so I think that they'll come away with a win. You know, Iona really – and they they barely got by Sienna and then barely got by uh, Greg Paulus's Niagara team um, <laughs> in the Metro Atlantic Conference Tournament. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting with Patino on the sidelines. You know, that's a really mm-hmm. interesting wrinkle in a two fifteen matchup. You know, you don't obviously – Obviously, don't always get a Hall of Fame coach or – well, I don't know what his eligibility is anymore. Um, <laughs> like, Rick Pitino. Hall of Fame quality. Um, yeah. Hall of Fame quality coach like Rick Pitino coaching a 15 seed. Um, and Iona, they have some kind of prestige as a program, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they were going Tim to Clues had a, a lot. great program there. Yeah, with Tim Clues, you know, Pitino shouted him out for what he built. Um, I don't know if they've ever won a game in the tournament. Um I'd have to do some more research on that. Um, but they ha- do have some history of going um, to the tournament. You know, they went um, in 2019 in the last tournament and lost mm-hmm. um, as a 16th seed to North Carolina. But um, – so this is not a team that um, will be overwhelmed by the moment by any means. Um, so – but it, it, it's an interesting wrinkle in a 215 matchup. So if Alabama – advances past Iona, which we both think they will. Um, UConn and Maryland winner will await them. You know, like I said earlier, UConn is one of the last seven seeds that I wanted in Alabama's bracket. Um, they're, they're not underseeded based off of their, um, based off their resume or anything, but they're, to me, they're underseeded based off how good they actually are because, you know, they didn't have um, James Booknight for so long. Um, I don't know what their record was without him, but it wasn't very good. Wasn't um, but good. we're talking about the team that's 16th in Kempom and a seventh mm-hmm. seed. Um, so, you know, this would be an eight versus 16 Kempom matchup um, in the round of 32. And then you get the dynamic of um, a Hurley brother versus Oates. You know, Oates mm-hmm. worked for Bobby at Buffalo. Um, so this is like – not it's not a nightmare scenario for Alabama by any means, but this is a really good team that's way better than what your average seven seed is. Mm-hmm. You know, once they got Book Knight back, they they reeled off five straight wins in the Big East and lost a really close game um, to Creighton in the Big East semifinals. Um, but James Book Knight is a really good player. Um, you know, probably one of the ten best players in America when he's um, healthy. Um, and then you know they've got R.J. Cole, who's a grad transfer from Howard that. You know, Alabama was kind of in on for a little while. Um, yeah. He shoots the ball really well. He he was one of, like, the, the nation's leading scorers at Howard. Um, but he's a he's a really good bucket getter. And then, you know, they slow it down 
and they play um, uh, on the offensive glass a lot too. Um, so that's a tough matchup. And then, but to get to Alabama, they'll have to beat Maryland, who has kind of been a weird team. Um, obviously, could be a Galen Smith matchup mm-hmm. in the He's second good round. Games. Yeah, and you know Maryland's kind of been weird. You know they're thirty first in Ken Palm, but with a sixteen and thirteen record. Um, they rely on their defense. You know, Aaron Wiggins is a is another good player. Mm-hmm. Um, really good six player. six 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 wing. Um, they can get to the rim. Really good on defense. Um, so that's an interesting matchup to watch. Um, I do assume you think UConn will win this game, Matt. Yeah, for the same reasons you said. UConn was one of like three teams I wanted to avoid. I didn't want UConn. I didn't want Oregon because I think Chris Duarte is going to just absolutely explode in March. Yeah, he's like 25 years old, so he's beyond to explode. <laughs> and then UNC is another team I didn't want because of their bigs. So whenever I saw UNC on the 8-9 line when they got called, I saw Oregon get called. Then whenever I saw BYU get called on the six seed, I was really hoping that six seed was going to be UConn. <laughs> I, I love BYU. I love Mark Pope. Um, we talk about him a lot. I did not want UConn. I wanted BYU instead in that seven spot. Didn't get my wish. Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna pick UConn over Maryland in my bracket. Maryland's a good team. Wiggins is going to be an interesting matchup for book night. Um, but UConn's just so talented. They're really underseated based on talent, like you said. So I'm going to go with them. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think, I think that game will be close. Um, you know, uh, Maryland, they seem to always just hang around. You know, they had a pretty decent first half lead on Michigan um, in the Big Ten tournament before Michigan kind of turned it on there in the second half after uh, Juwan Howard tried to fight Mike Park, Mark Turgeon. Um, so hope, we'll, we'll see. It's to be determined if Oates and Mark Turgeon try to fight. Um, hey, Danny game, Hurley might try to fight Mark that Turgeon. Is true. Danny Hurley is always ready to throw it down, so it could happen. <laughs> that is true. That, that, that is the biggest storyline to watch in that game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, to me – if you look at just Oregon on Ken Palm, they're very balanced, 24th offensive efficiency and then 25th defensively. But if you want to look at two stats that show why they'd be a tough matchup for Alabama, it's their offensive rebound percentage, you know, 37%, six in the country, and then their block percentage, um, which is 6.7%, which is 24th in the country. You know, Isaiah Whaley um, is a 6'9 senior. He's 22nd in the country in block percentage. And then they've got another guy in the top 100 at Adama Sanago. Um, so they're a really athletic, talented team um, who I think could pose some problems for Alabama defensively. And then they've got the players um, in Book Knight and R.J. Cole that if they get going offensively, you know, there's a lot of teams that UConn's good enough to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so one thing when you do look at UConn, though, they haven't really won a big game. Uh, since beating USC in December. And, you know, that USC team in December is not what um, they are now. now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, their best win since then um, would be, just in terms of Kim Palm numbers, uh, Seton Hall, who missed the Mm -hmm. tournament. Um, So, you know, they lost to – like I said, they lost to Creighton in the Big East tournament. They lost to Villanova. Um, But right before that, before going on a five-game winning streak against kind of the lowly teams in the Big East – so they haven't really faced a team near Alabama's caliber um, this season. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. You know, I don't want to assume UConn because we've been burned by that before. Um, <laughs> but either way, with whether it's UConn or Maryland, it's a tough, uh, tough second round game. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, where do you kind of say Alabama gets past um, this game and moves on to the Sweet Sixteen? 
Um, I assume you, you think it'll be Texas? Yeah, I do. I think the BYU against I, – I think Michigan State will beat UCLA in the first four. I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup with BYU, Michigan State, or UCLA. And I think the winner of that game could really give Texas some issues. Look, Texas is really athletic, and they play really, really hard for Shaka. Matt Coleman is a senior guard, which is important in March. Um, so that's the reason I have them in the Sweet 16, just because they can uh, pose some real mismatches for teams. Um, so I will give Texas the edge there. And kind of just looking at that game, if Alabama does make it that far instead of Texas, Texas has some great rim protection in Kai Jones, Jericho Sims, um, Greg Brown, some real athletic guys who play with really high motors. Um, so that can take Alabama out of the paint a little bit. Um, they also have some really scrappy wings in Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones. Um, and like I said, senior guard, Matt Coleman, they have Brock Cunningham, who's kind of their high motor glue guy. Um, I, Texas is a team that I've watched a lot. Um, they're a team that beat Kate Cunningham for the Big 12 title. This is a really good team. And, you know, whenever I was looking at the other guy, teams on the three line, this is kind of the three seed that I didn't really want Alabama to get matched up with um, just because they have really good bigs that can protect the rim. But if those two teams match up, that's going to be a really, really high-level game and a lot of fun from a basketball fan perspective. This region has a lot of, like, talented athletic teams. Yeah. When you look at yeah. um, LSU, Texas, Florida State, um, Maryland, UConn. That's a really um, big athletic region. You know, I think LSU mm -hmm. can give – if they get past St. Bonnie, I think they can give Michigan a really tough game. Um, you know, Michigan's kind of dealing with some injuries. You know, Alabama kind of uh, – kind of drew the good end of the stick there with getting Michigan um, mm -hmm. as a one seed in their bracket because I think that LSU, Colorado, Florida State, I think all of them would have a good shot to beat Michigan. You know, that's kind of a tough draw. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could argue that LSU is the best eight seed um, on there, depending on what you think of Loyola. Um, and then I think Colorado is really dangerous. You know, they don't get talked about a lot because they're in the Pac-12, mm -hmm. um, but they're quietly, a, you know, 17th in Kempom. Um, and they have a really good player in McKinley Wright. Um, and then Florida State, you know, they've been good all year. They won the uh, – or they almost won the ACC again. Um, I think Virginia won the ACC regular season. But they had a re another really good season. Um, and they're – like I said, they're super athletic. They can score um, with anybody. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun bracket, honestly. You know, and there's a lot of teams that I think are capable of making a run. Um, all the way down to LSU as the eight seed. You know, we saw how they played today. Um, they can beat anybody in this bracket. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's going to be a fun bracket. I think the East region is going to be one of the more competitive of any of the regions. Kind of probably be the hardest to predict. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we hope Alabama can come out of it. But you know, when there's so the potential for some really um, interesting Sweet 16, Elite Eight type matchups, don't you think, mm -hmm. Matt? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this this is what March is all about. They have a lot of high-level teams, a lot of athletic teams, long teams that can score a lot of points. Uh, that, from a pure basketball fan perspective, this is the bracket that I think all eyes need to be on. You, you mentioned Colorado. Georgetown's hot right now. And that's going to be a fun game. Does Georgetown finally cool off? You know, this was a team that had a losing record prior to their conference tournament, and then, then they stole a bid. Colorado's got McKinley Wright. Um, Florida State plays UNC Greensboro, coached by Wes Miller, who's one of the great young coaches in college basketball. Had to give him a shout on here. Um, but from a fan perspective, you know, you have Izzo and Mick Cronin coaching against each other in the first four. Um, this is just a really, really fun bracket from a fan perspective. And the potential Sweet 16 matchups with Michigan, with whatever they get matched up with, potentially Alabama and Texas, 
and then whatever comes of the lead eight with that. It's going to be a battle-tested team that makes the Final Four, and it's going to be a really, really fun bracket to watch play out. I hope Alabama gets Texas just so we can avenge um, one of the worst. Oh, in Birmingham. Games. That was horrible. <laughs> that was horrible. Um, but, yeah, it's a fun bracket, man. I, I'm really looking forward to it um, for a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the strongest regions from top to bottom. Um, you know, Alabama is obviously the top two seed. Um, Michigan, it's kind of hard to project how they're going to do. You know, losing Isaiah Livers was really tough for them. Um, you know, arguably their best player. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a lot of teams, even teams we haven't talked about, like St. Bonaventure, they could very easily beat LSU. Um, you know, they were really impressive in the A-10. Uh, they coasted to a win over VCU today in the A-10 final. Um, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's alma mater. They could uh, really make some noise, too. Um, and give a tough game to Michigan if they get past LSU. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of tough teams. You know, like you mentioned and you touched on the Michigan State UCLA. Um, you know, BYU's probably asking what they did to deserve two Blue Bloods as an 11 seed. Um, so, and then Abilene Christian's a fun team as a 14 seed. You know, yeah, that is not a walk in the park for Texas by any means. They can really That's going to be a fun game. That's going to be yeah, a really can, fun game. Uh, they can really defend. That'll be interesting. Um, so that's kind of the bracket. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to make a prediction of how far Alabama is going to go. Um, mainly for the reason that I don't want to, I don't want it to backfire on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to give myself some credit though, because I said LSU is a dark horse in the SEC tournament and that came to fruition. They almost won it. Thankfully, I I wasn't proved. Yeah. I think that was the only prediction that either of us gave for the SEC tournament that held true. So props to you for that one. Yeah. I mean, we both said Arkansas, um, I did say I thought Arkansas would win it, so it doesn't – I'm not as smart as I think I am because um, <laughs> I, did, I did think that Arkansas would end up beating LSU. But, you know, there's some really fun games in the SEC tournament that really mm-hmm. kind of set the stage um, for Alabama in March. Um, so, yeah, that's about all we've got. You know, plan on recording after every game. So, after the Iona game, which – when do we – do we know when we play? Saturday? Uh, I have not seen it since we started recording on where we'll play or when we'll play. And also, I want to talk about this real quick. Matt Norlander tweeted it out, and I feel like it's important to touch on. I've been talking about how Alabama's a perfect tournament team because they can get used to playing in the same gym. The NCAA announced tonight that teams will not play consecutive games in the same gym. So let's say that Alabama's in Lucas Oil Stadium for round one against Iona. They will not play there in round two against UConn or Maryland. They will move around to – you know, Assembly Hall or Mackey Arena or somewhere like that. So that's an interesting twist for teams. Um, they won't benefit from having more games on one court than another. Um, so that's an interesting twist for Alabama, try to get hot shooting on different courts in Indianapolis. Um, and I, th- I think it's going to be a fun tournament, man. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, and yeah, so apologies, I don't know when Alabama's playing or um, where. should be announced um, sometime tonight after we get done recording, of course. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll probably come out right after, right after we get done. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be. I, I, I'm hoping for Hinkle for selfish reasons. Um, yes. I saw I saw a pic of Hinkle with a March Madness floor, and it looked like mm-hmm. just if you're a college basketball fan, you know that's that's just beautiful. It'd be amazing. Yeah. So yeah, um, we'll see when Alabama plays, but we do know that they will play Iona, um, and if they win that, they'll play the winner of UConn and Maryland. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast may be making the trip to Indy. So, I hope you all have a blast. You know, it was mm-hmm. fun seeing all those Alabama fans in Nashville. 
Um, I know me and you, Matt, were usually mainstays there, but couldn't make it mm-hmm. this year. And I, I kind of had some FOMO today, not going to lie. Yeah, same. Um, just because of all the trips that I've <laughs> made to the SC tournament have ended with Kentucky um, yep. beating us rather easily. Uh, so that was fun to see. I'm glad everybody got to enjoy that and mm-hmm. hope you get some, make some fun memories in Indy and Alabama is able to make a run. Um, so yeah, like I said, we'll be back after the Iona game, hopefully have a lot to talk about. Um, so I can't wait. This was a really fun podcast. I've been looking forward to this one um, mm-hmm. for a while. So um, like I said, that's all we've got for today. Appreciate everybody. Uh, chiming in you know ask for questions and I didn't really get much in return so y'all gotta step it up next time next time yeah uh so that's all we've got we will return after the Iona game and roll tide let's uh let's make a run in the tournament Matt what do you say Uh, I think it sounds good let's do it all right thanks guys